Welcome to another episode of Behind the Sport. Brent, how are you today? Oh, fantastic, man. Having a, having a ripper week and, uh, yeah, heaps going on. Really looking forward to, um, obviously, we've got the supercars over in Perth in a couple of weeks. We've got uh, the budget enduro race series at Collie next weekend. Yep. Um, members tuning day. Oh, just tons on the fly. Lots going on. And of course, we uh, usually try not to put any dates uh, and stuff around when we record these episodes. But yeah, in the lead up to Perth, um, you know, we've just had the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne, which was a fantastic showing. You know, not only by Formula One, S5000s had 16 cars out on the grid. Um, and of course, supercars are out there for the Melbourne 400. And um, what better timing around this whole Perth return to supercars, uh, well, supercars return to Perth, I should say, uh, and of course the Melbourne 400, then to get on someone from the supercars team, Charlie Bullis, who's digital content producer for the team. How are you going? I'm so well. Thank you both for having me. As you say, it's um, coming off the back of the Melbourne 400 and I've had uh, the week before that, I was at World Time Attack and the week before that, I was in Tasmania. So this is good timing. I feel like I've had a couple of days sleep now, guys. So you'll be able to get some actual sense out of me <laughs> for the podcast. I, I couldn't believe it. Like I emailed you during the race meet to say, hey, look, you know, do you want to come on the show? You know, expecting, you know, maybe about today you'd reply to me, which is like six days later, um, you know, purely because of I know how busy, you know, things get with race meets. Um, and you replied the next morning and said, sorry for the delay in replying. Like, do you have some sort of, you know, like you have to reply within an hour? Is that your usual timing or...? <laughs> Well, I'm English, so we're just sorry all the time. Um, I'm sure <laughs> if you clipped up this interview and did a timer or like a ticker on how many times I say sorry, um, you'll be like, oh, gosh, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, we're English, we're born sorry, and we continuously apologise for our existence. However, yes, I did just, I saw it and I was like, oh, well, what a fantastic opportunity. And, yeah, perfect timing with us coming to Perth at the end of April and I was like, I cannot miss this opportunity. So that's why I replied straight away. Other people would be like, well, she hasn't replied to my email yet. But <laughs> I put you guys at the front of the queue. All I'm going to say is to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you you are working in supercars, you know, as a um, full-time, as a digital content producer, and you're also in front of the camera at times as well. But how did you get involved with motorsport like what lit your motorsport passion um uh, so i did not grow up in a motorsport family and i kind of kick myself a little bit now to be honest because back in the uk i lived you know 20 minutes from brands hatch i i could have been there in the golden era of era of formula one and unfortunately my parents weren't into it so it wasn't something that was on the TV or on their radar. So uh, my motorsport journey certainly started in Australia. I moved here when I was um, just about to turn 18 in 2006 and um, sort of friends were into supercars. So I think I attended my first Gold Coast event uh, and it was back when IndyCars were there as well. I think that was 2007. And I remember being extremely wide-eyed and going, mm -hmm. what, on, what on earth is going on here? This is amazing. Uh, and then, but at the time, you know, I was um, 
in a bit of flux in my life. I'll be really honest. I'll, I'll take you back to, yeah, come over here when I was 18 and always wanted to be a journo and had straight A's at school. I was the biggest brown nose you've ever met. I still am. <laughs> and just asked the people I work with. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, I can be a journalist over here. You know, there's journalists everywhere. Um, and I went to be in fashion as most, you know, 18-year-old girls that come from the UK. That's pretty much what they like to do in, in, in terms of journalism. And went up to the University of the Sunshine Coast and held up my straight A's and thought, oh, you know, they're going to let me in, aren't they? Because, you know, come on, I'm from the motherland. And <laughs> they uh, turned around and was like, oh, what are these? We don't know what these are. If you want to, you know, come to university, you need to go back and start in year nine and do your HSC all over again. And, you know, if you've ever listened to an interview with me, I tell this story because it's just such a pivotal moment in my life and something that I think to me it's like this could have changed the whole trajectory of my career and, and you know, who I am as a person. So, um, yeah, and I just took that as gospel. I was like, okay, well, I can't go to university, so I'm just going to go get a job. And in the meantime, I had different experiences like, yes, um, motorsport and then uh, started working in real estate and just bounded around from lots of different things because nothing made me happy. Then let's just fast forward a little bit, um, sort of met my husband 2012, then quite quickly, sort of a year or so after, um, had a baby. And then it was, okay, well, I'm going to stick around and, and, and be a mum for a while, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be there for the first five years of his life. And I worked part-time in sort of um, events and sort of PA management roles. Again, never quite fulfilled. Again, never quite happy. Um some people would say I was a bit of a nightmare <laughs> to deal with because I was just all the time. Um, and then let's fast forward again a little bit to my son starting school. And I remember this very pivotal question, sorry, conversation that I had with him on his first day. And he said, mum, what am I going to be when I grow up? And I said, but like, you can be whatever you want to be. Just don't let anyone stop you. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. And I thought, oh, my God, you massive hypocrite. You are the biggest hypocrite on the planet because you did let one person tell you you couldn't mosey on into university and live out your journalism dreams, and you didn't even go get a second opinion. You didn't even go and see if there was another way. I just took it and just thought, okay, dream's dead. See you later. So... You know, looking at my five-year-old son, I thought, well, I can't be a hypocrite anymore. I can't can't do that. I need to need to go and finally pursue this. And then at the time, this was 2018, um, nearly 2019, my husband had started racing in the New South Wales sports sedans and he was in a, I need to make sure I get this right, a VY Commodore and he was in Division <laughs> 3 and he won Division 3 and I was looking around thinking, gosh, there's a distinct lack of women around here in grassroots motorsport. But then I also saw the just a whole different side to motorsport, the fact that you're working on the car to get the car to a certain, you know, race-ready you're tinkering, you're, you, then you load it on the trailer because you've done absolutely everything, then you unload it at the racetrack, then you, you're changing tyres yourself, you go racing yourself, if anything goes wrong, you're fixing it yourself, and it's also the highs 
that are so high in motorsport, but also the devastating lows of when you have a weekend where you have an off or you crash or someone crashes into you or something on the car breaks. And I just got a whole different appreciation for what goes on, you know, under the bonnet, under the helmet and how it affects your whole life. And even if it is a hobby. So from then I was like, okay, well, I think, I think I found it. I think I found this passion. I think I found where I want to go in journalism. And then I just went for it and went for it full ball. And anyone, again, that has spoken to me probably over the last couple of years is like, oh, my God, she just will not stop. But she just won't. <laughs> she will not stop until she gets there. Just give it to her now because she just won't stop. Um, but very long explanation. But that is how I decided to pretty much dedicate my life um, because it is a lifestyle. It's not a job. Um, I dedicate my life to, to motorsport. Someone else has, uh, I've been accused a few times of that same, same thing of just, just give it to him and, you know, like just give it, give it everything that he wants to do and achieve now and just shut him up <laughs> so we don't have to listen to him anymore. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like two years ago, we started this podcast, you know, COVID hit. Um, and, you know, two years ago, a few other things happened um, in terms of, you know, with motorsport and to shut down everything. And I just went, you know what, let's, let's just do this. Let's start a podcast. Let's talk to people in motorsport. Let's, you know, build a website, you know, not just about, you know, no offense, no, not just about supercars. You know, everyone else does supercars. Everyone else does F1. You know, we still do supercars. We still do F1. But, you know, we really try and push, you know, that grassroots stuff because it, it, it is, it's the same highs and lows that you get at the top level, except it's a lot, low, it's a bit lonelier. You know, you, you buy generally by yourself or a few mates or, you know, the category and, you know, you don't have the tens of thousands of fans there, which is a shame. But um, now you, my understanding is you did a bit of officials work. Yeah. So on my way, as I was saying to annoy people about giving me a job, I um, I volunteered at Bathurst in 2019, so pre-COVID, and I wanted to not only experience a different side of a supercars event, you know, I'd been a punter or I'd been a, a customer or a fan, I wanted to experience it from the people that make it all happen. And, but I will admit, I stood at the bottom of Tower 3 and anyone who knows, you know, the layout of, um, you know, sort of Mount Panorama Paddock, Tower 3 is the staircase that all the media guys have to walk by. So I was like, <laughs> I will not move from Tower 3 for the whole event. And that was, you know, Thursday through the Sunday. And I badgered everyone. Poor Chad Nalon, poor Matt Nolte. Uh, <laughs> look, I didn't have the balls to talk to you know crompo or scafe but if i did they'd be probably wouldn't talk to me now because i'd annoy them that much but um yeah and i stood there and just every single person that went by i just said to them how do you do what you do how did you get here you know who do i need to talk to what do i need to do what do i need to show what skills do i need and i will forever be thankful to chad nalon and matt nolte because not only did they give me the time of day, but they were extremely gracious and also passed on my details to someone else. 
So it took a couple of years after that and obviously still hard work and networking and, and hustling. But if it wasn't for those two just stopping and saying, you know what, let's talk to this you know, crazy blonde girl that's jumping around the bottom of Tower 3, um, then I probably would not be sitting where I am now. So I'm extremely grateful to both of them. I know Mad Nolte's um, given quite a few people a bit of a, you know, the 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 Matt Nolte chat and, um, yeah, every time I hear his name. And I've never actually met Matt Nolte, which is um, quite surprising. Like, we've been in the same place and, oh, you know, a, we... He's a good egg. <laughs> yeah. And, we, you know, we've, um, you know, I've got people that work for me that have worked, you know, with Matt Nolte and, but, yeah, just one of those people never crossed paths with, um, you know, like I've crossed paths with um, Greg Rust and um, Noons and everyone else and, but Matt Nolte, for some reason, he's, he's like the, the white whale. I've just never um, never been able to capture him to, to just say good day and, yeah, actually thank him for some of the people he's brought into the industry, um, you know, he's helped, yeah, get, get them involved. So, um, yeah, and as Brent just said, good egg. Um, so when, when was your first journalism uh job slash internship i love the fact you said internship because very very much where i started um so i did some writing online um for motorsport mate which was wonderful i started that pretty early when i was doing my degree on the side um which was absolutely wonderful it was i guess really good to sort of uh, it was about Formula One, um, so it was good to get that whole um, just applying the correct lingo to motorsport as well. It's a, it's its own it's its own lingo. It's its own. It's got a lot of terms that you need to be aware of and what they mean. And then there's a lot of colloquialisms that you have to be aware of in, in motorsport. It's I find it very different to writing about any other kind of writing that I've done, especially you know news or lifestyle, celebrity, motorsport is its own entity, which I really enjoyed about it. Um, and then I also sort of, uh, I think I hadn't really watched that much Formula One in Australia as well. So I was tired continuously because you know, <laughs> the ridiculous times that we have to get up. And if I see anyone in the UK at the moment whinge about the fact they had to get up early for the Oz Grand Prix, it's it's not okay. Like you're going to get a strongly worded message from me. Um, but that was a wonderful internship and just something that they were so accommodating and just really helped me develop my writing, which was wonderful. Um, but the uh, presenting wise, and I think what helped me really gain the confidence to propel myself forward was the TA2 muscle car series. So in again pre-COVID 2019, I saw that there was a round that they just had at um, I think it was where was it? I think it was at the Bend maybe, um, and it was on Fox Sports. And I watched it and I thought, oh, they don't have a pit reporter. And oh, okay, there's you know I don't really see anyone like on camera leading this. Perhaps this is an opportunity. So reached out to their media um, team, Dewey Jones, and who also works currently with Team 18 as well, he said, okay, we'll come along. We're at Sydney Motorsport Park. Come along and we'll, you know, see, 
you can see what happens kind of thing. I went, okay, cool. So took the day off uni, went to um, Sydney Motorsport Park, turned up, and I laugh because um, Craig Denyer is the category manager for TA2 Muscle Car Series. And if you don't know who Craig Denyer is, anyone listening, um, he's like the godfather of V8 Ute racing in Australia. Like he's he's a deal. And I just turned, and obviously the father of Grant Denyer as well, who's obviously an accomplished broadcaster, but also an accomplished racer. And I just turn up and I don't know who he is, ridiculously. Um, I turned up and I said, Mr. Denyer, can you please give me a go? And he went, what experience have you got? And I said, oh, you know, I've got, I've got experience. I know what I'm doing. And he went, okay, you know what? I'll give you, I'll give you this package to do, which was a father and son thing that they wanted to do because there's a lot of father and son teams in TA2. Let's, you do that, and then I'll watch it. If I like it, you can come back tomorrow. And I did it. He watched it. He liked it. I came back the next day. And then the same thing again. <laughs> did what he needed me to do on the Saturday. He watched it. He liked it. I came back on the Sunday. Then I think it was two to three weeks later, they flew me up to Queensland. I was living in Sydney then. Flew me up to Queensland Raceway for the final round. And that was when Aaron Seaton one after turning it around in front of the field on Saturday evening and then coming back Sunday and winning the whole thing. And it was an incredible story. You know, Glenn Seaton and the team were up till four, I think it was 3am by the time they left fixing this car. Aaron takes it out and wins the whole championship. And that was just like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. And from that experience, I could then build a showreel, which then allowed me to then go for, for other roles as well. So then that led to doing some work with Speed Cafe and um, working with them at the 12 hour, doing some writing on support categories for them. Then obviously COVID hit, but at the end of 2020, I hosted the Speed Week E-Series, which again was all through the shot that Craig Denyer gave me. Yeah, nice. Nice. The um, e-racing got massive in that uh, COVID, COVID time. It's still still ticking along, obviously not as predominant because everyone's back racing again. But um, I was watching a couple of people race last night and, yeah, it's it's amazing to see there's still all these leagues going and, you know, some of the you know, top drivers are still, still doing it for fun. Um, but, um, yeah, how did you find sort of – talking about e-series rather than real racing was that was it a difficult thing to sort of change yeah because i mean it's it's computer based and it's you know like if they crash it's not you know it's not the same sort of oh as if they crash in you know real life so you know how did you sort of manage that you know keeping up the excitement around you know something that's i guess virtual yeah, it's interesting. I think when I hosted the Speed Week E-Series, that's on the PlayStation platform, so it's not the same as what we race in the Supercars E-Series, which is on iRacing. Yeah. Um, I did find it a little bit funny that some of the – a couple of the contestants in the Speed Week E-Series, because it was on PlayStation 4, um, they had always driven with a, like a handheld 
console. They'd never driven with a steering wheel. Whereas when they were in the competition, they had to do it with the steering wheel. So that I was like, <laughs> to me, like driving with a handheld is like Mario Kart, right? Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like so you've never driven with this? He's like, no, I don't have my license. I'm, you know, like 17 or 16, 17. I was like, okay, well, uh, good luck. And <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> um, but I still, I think it's because you can race on international tracks as well. Like yeah. we can race at Spa, we can go to Laguna Seca, you can go to all these tracks, iRacing and, and obviously E-Series that, yeah, we don't normally get to go to. So I do find that kind of exciting. It's a new challenge and you see cars on a different track rather than the – we do go to obviously lots of different circuits around Australia and New Zealand, but it's just great to be at international circuits. I think I find excitement in that part. And then I also do, I think because I just get sucked into it because it's still racing to me. It's still like, you know, so-and-so puts it on pole and then he's got to convert it. And then it's kind of hilarious when they all bump into each other and you get the Rick Kelly, <laughs> the Rick Kelly helicopter that's like my ultimate favourite E-Series moment ever. Um, and then we had Thomas Randall last year pretty much replicate the same thing. Um, and he did the the spear off helicopter. Like I genuinely enjoy those moments. I think they're hilarious. Um, and yeah, the fact that no one actually has to get the tools out and fix things. <laughs> um, and then I also like the fact that um, some of the drivers go on Twitch as well, so you can sort of listen to them race, which is a whole different kind of element that we've tried to bring in within Supercars E Series, but then also through race radio through our sort of yep. normal champion supercars championship um just to give like i find it fascinating to hear what they say while racing and but what's kind of funny is that our guys are so skilled and so well seasoned is that they hardly say anything over the radio <laughs> <laughs> which is like, which is kind of funny right you're like oh i bet he blew up when so and so hit him they actually don't they just go Copy and keep going. You're like, something. Yeah. <laughs> <Say> something. <laughs> but they don't because they're just so skilled and they've been doing it for so long and they just don't react because then it pulls them out of their race mode to react. Yeah. Just is going to hinder them as they continue. So, yeah, for us, it's but I want to hear more of you know the banter and the you know having a go at each other over the radio. But our guys are so good at what they do. They just move on. Whereas me, I'd be blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, in the in the eighties and nineties with supercars, um, they used to have a few mics in a couple of the cars, and you know, talking back with the commentators and stuff. And you know, I think as well back then, you know, if someone said something that perhaps they shouldn't have, it wasn't so widely you know, condemned and carried on. So I think that's probably something that the drivers take into consideration, you know, now is if they say the wrong thing in the heat of the moment, it's carried on for, you know, days and days and days and days and days and months and years and all sorts of stuff. Whereas, you know, I was just watching um, um, Scaife get taken out by, um, oh, who was it? I was actually on the supercars website. That's really bad of me. I was just looking at it before. Um, oh, it was a Perth flashback, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, was Scaife and Ambrose. Ambrose basically barging them off in turn one and um, 
and Scaife was actually very composed for someone who'd gone into the sand by someone else. Um, you know, whereas I remember some of the old blow-ups of, you know, earlier than that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, the change. And radios, um, like, just to change categories a bit, Formula One on the weekend, I think um, Checo Perez had the best radio call I've heard for a long time um, when he asked his engineer if he was still awake. <laughs> you know, they were out there just doing their own race and it was just, um, you know, the, the, the radios on F1 are a lot, yeah, a lot more livelier than the, the supercars and, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's just they grab them at a better time or they, um, or, yeah, it's just, you know, the supercars guys probably just a bit more, like, behaved maybe. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think if you, um, but our radios don't go live uh, to broadcast normally, Um but also just the sheer scale of the team behind the scenes at Formula One. Like yeah. they've literally got a whole room of people dedicated to the radio. So all their job is is to listen to the radio and pluck out different things that they, they hear or flag and go, oh, yep, send that to broadcast or, yep, clip that for later. And we're insanely jealous. Like we would absolutely love that. Um, but for us it's something that comes through post-race um, yeah. And then literally someone has to sit there and go through the wobbly lines and, um, yeah, pick out bits and bits and bobs. So, um, but, yes, I do agree. Our guys are a lot more composed. And <laughs> even when they celebrate over the line, it's like, yeah, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Like, Thanks, guys. Thanks for that. Like, great car. Well done. Amazing job. Um, I don't think we'll ever hear uh, Valtteri Bottas, like, you know, to anyone who thought I'd gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think like that out of a supercars guy anytime soon, but I would love it if they did. <laughs> I'm just glad we don't have to hear like um, Nico Rosberg's uh, championship winning moment. That was just, yeah, that was a bit, I, I, I was glad he won it, but oh my God, just his celebration in the car afterwards oh. was like, can we just go to something else? Like <laughs> this is just getting a bit embarrassing. <laughs> um, but I mean, it did show his love for his wife, so you know, that, that's what a lot of that was about. But um, anyway, um, so uh, having a look through, um, you ended up at caradvice.com for a little bit. What were you doing there? Yeah, so that was really interesting. Um, gosh, I learned so, so much at Car Advice that was sort of migrating over to drive at the time. Um Look, again, I seem to find myself in situations when I bother people and I hassle people. And that was I sent an email, I sent a message through Instagram to Car Advice and said, hey, if you're ever looking for a mum's perspective on cars, I'd happily do some guest writing for you guys. And next thing I know, I'm getting pulled in for an interview and it's like, we'd love to offer you a job. And I'd love to say that it was that that actually that easy but I was so I was so shocked I was like guys you surely not me like I, I know zilch about cars like zilch and they're like well you're a consumer and you know you're a female like a mum and you know mums make a lot of buying decisions about cars so we'd love to have you know your take on things and I really really enjoyed it it was just a fantastic time I would sort of write in the newsroom. So I'd be writing about, you know, the latest release of, you know, what Tesla would up to or 
Um, my favorite was the car auction. So like celebrities that were selling their cars, like I absolutely loved that. There was like um, someone selling the kit car, you know, from um, Jeepers. What's that show with David Hasselhoff? Yeah, Knight Rider. Someone was actually selling like a really, really good. Record. This is this is one of those times you need to say sorry for not knowing that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't know that. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, I knew the name of the car. Come on, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Points. But yes, yeah, so someone was selling a good replica of Kit, um, but it was actually going to be delivered by David Hasselhoff. So yeah, stories wow. like that, I'm like, oh, I absolutely love it. And like Justin Bieber getting um, a Phantom and he was um, wanted it to be made into this certain replica car and had to have it one-off built. Like Those are the kinds of stories that I love. Um, but then I got to do really... I got to be part of car of the year, which was an amazing experience. You know, you've got like nearly a hundred cars at London raceway and we're testing all of them and you're having to present, you know, interiors and exteriors. And I think in one day I did sort of 20 pieces to camera and 20 different cars. And I literally had about three minutes with the car before I had to sit and talk about the great features of the car. So that for me was you know, not only kind of a baptism of fire, but something that I genuinely enjoyed. Um, and I fell in love with um, <laughs> the Mercedes A45, fell in love with it and just refused to go in anything else after that. Um, <laughs> uh, but then it was also, I got to do long-term um, reviews as well. So I did a review of the MG ZS, which is electric vehicle for families. That was a really amazing three months of actually having to drive an electric vehicle and report back on my findings and whether it was actually functional for a family, for school pickup, drop-off, like all of those elements, which I found that um, not only did I really enjoy it, but you, I felt like I really had purpose. You know, I was actually giving good consumer advice and I think for someone that doesn't know a lot about cars, that what like but would purchase a car, I yeah, yeah I, I was like, well, that's the kind of person I want telling me whether they like the car or not, or whether you know what's good and bad about the car, because they're actually going to look at it through the same eyes as what I do. And it's yeah, can I fit? Not that I have to deal with prams anymore, but can I fit a pram and some shopping in there? Like, does it still feel a bit sporty? I don't want to feel like I'm driving a mum bus, like, you know, yeah. all those kind of different <laughs> things. And then I got to drive a, um, a Corolla, um, a, the brand new 2021 Corolla hatch. And, oh, my God, I forgot how much fun hatches were. And <laughs> that was, like, the coolest weekend. Like, all I did was drive all weekend because I was just buzzing around in a little hot hatch. And yeah, again, it was like, I could relate it to, okay, so if you're going to buy a car for your child, because I've got a stepson who's 18, if you're going to buy a car for them, is this going to be good for them? Like, you know, should you be buying an auto or manual? You know, do you want them to learn manual? Like for me, I had no choice. It was you learn manual or nothing. Whereas, you know, parents today, some parents think it's okay just to drive auto. So yeah, I enjoyed that experience. Um, but yes, the uh, supercars came along and I couldn't turn it down. Otherwise, I would still, I would hope I would still be at drive. The, um, the will it fits thing with the, the pram and that. I've always actually wanted to do a series 
maybe next year I'll do it, you know, in some of my spare time um, <laughs> that we all don't have, um, is I want to do a, a will I fit. Because um, as you know from meeting me, I'm quite tall and quite large and selecting cars is actually quite annoying. Um, and I see Brent, cars. Yes, I see Bren's come off uh, mute for this because I'm sure he wants to tell the story about uh, me getting stuck in a race car um, with my legs dangling out the side. Um, but, yeah, like actually trying to find a car that I'm comfortable in is obviously, um, you know, I mean, sometimes, yeah, it's great. It takes me a bit to get in and, you know, and then I'm comfy in it. I was driving a Ford Focus 2010 for a while, about five, six years. Um, and, you know, and then I switched out to my current car, which is an MUX. Um, and I got back into the Ford Focus and I was like, how the hell did I fit in this thing for so long? Like it is tiny inside. But when I first got it, I thought it was huge, which is bizarre. But um, yeah, I want to go like, you know, like all the, all the sports cars and, you know, high-end cars and, you know, family cars. And yeah, I just want to go, I just want to go, will I fit? Yeah. Still, this whole series on will I fit? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a brilliant idea. I think you know, my husband's the same. He's, you know, six, four and, you know, built like a rugby player. Um, and yeah, he the only car that he really feels, you know, not cramped in is a Land Cruiser. And, yeah. you know, so he, but the, the older, older sort of, you know, before they got upgraded now. So what's the 20, 2021 or 2022 models now? Very di- different. But um, yeah, and then he went from a, a cruiser to a Ranger and was like, this is, and then didn't like it that much because of like leg space is a big thing. Yeah. Right? For me, I don't have to worry about that. But it, yeah, it's sort of like the, your leg width. And then also he, got in my Mazda CX-9 and found it not big enough at all. Whereas the, yeah, the CX-9, I used to have to stand on the side step to be able to even climb in. (laughs) I'm I'm little, so like height wise. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think, and again, it's providing that consumer advice that's so relevant because, and, and I think that's what drive and car advice do really well is that they, yeah, they really look at it from a consumer point of view and be like, okay, well, is this actually practical? Like, does this actually yeah. work? Like, you know, yes, the Yaris was a fun hot hatch, but it had a CVT transmission that sometimes made you want to cry, like because you'd put your foot down and nothing would happen, and you're like, hold on, I'm meant to be in a hot hatch here. So they, but they tell that real, real side of it. So yeah, you're onto something there, Shane, for sure. Yeah, the um the other thing is like the the Mitsubishi Tritons and all those cars, you know, the, the the Pajero even looks massive from the outside, so tiny inside. That I actually went to a Mitsubishi dealer when I was looking for my new car, and this this um uh, this lovely guy comes out and he's a little little tiny Asian guy and he comes out and he just looks at me and he goes, uh, "What car are you looking for?" And I said, "Oh, I want to see if I fit in a Triton," and he just laughed. <laughs> And he goes, oh, I should probably shouldn't do this, but um, you should probably go up the road and have a look at an Isuzu. He goes, like, there's no point you even trying. Like, I can tell you you're not going to fit. And I said, oh, look, chits and giggles, just let me try, you know. And, yeah, I couldn't even get my leg under the steering wheel. It's that tiny inside. And, like, we tried it. He goes, and I said, you can't lift this up. And he goes, no, no, that's it. That's everything is fully back and down and up. Um, yeah, you just won't fit, mate. Like, just, yeah, go look at the Isuzus. Like, they, they're big inside. 
So, yeah, it was like the Mitsubishi dealer was telling me to go somewhere else. Oh, gosh. I looked at, yeah, Nissan's, um, oh, what did I look in the Nissan range? But, yeah, no, it was was just amazing, you know, like the big cars on the outside. um, They just, yeah, because they build the cockpits and, you know, put all these fancy gadgets in and stuff and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, now I can't fit, so... You know, or they, or they don't put a steering wheel that can raise up. Yeah. You know, like just silly things, but, you know. Yeah, I know, but, yeah, I, 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 I traded in my uh, my CX-9 Mumbus for a Mustang, so I can't really talk about <laughs> practicality anymore. But, you know, I love it, so it is what it is. <laughs> I um I squeezed myself into a Mustang at Bathurst at the um, – at the Australian Hill Climb Championships in 2019 because um, they were very gracious in offering me a lift back up to the top. Um, so I got to go um, in the in the safe, the course car um, at the Hill Climb Championships. So they jumped in there with all my camera gear and the guy goes, oh, how fast can I go? And I'm like, I don't know, see how you go. And, yeah, he went up and, yeah, it was a bit scary, but there was nowhere near what, you know, supercars guys doing that. But, you know, it was just like still an experience to have someone drive you at speed up that hill. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so so supercars, how did supercars come about for you? So, yeah, after that 2019 of me hassling everyone at Bathurst, um, you know, still kept in touch with, you know, Chad and, and Nolte and – but it did kind of come out of the blue. So I got a phone call um, from my then would have been boss saying, you know, do you want to come and work with supercars? Um, actually, it may or may not have come from um, Sean Seymour because I, this is like probably the most embarrassing thing, but I wanted, I really wanted to be in supercars. I was like, you know, that's, that's the dream. You know, I I want to work there. How do I make this happen? Which is a a thing that I live my life by is how do I make this happen? How do I throw my hat in the ring? How do I bother enough people? How do I, how do I show that I can do this? So I left a voicemail on Sean Seymour's phone, um, which is totally embarrassing. Um, considering now that, you know, I work there and I have to see him all the time. like, Hey mate, how you going? Like, try not to make eye contact. It's embarrassing. Um, and I was like, Sean, you know, you, you don't know me, but I would love the job at Supercars. I just need to, you know, yeah, again, what do I need to do? How do I need to show it? You know, I'd love a meeting, anything. Um, yeah, and I left a voicemail, and it was still a good, you know, six eight months had nothing. And yeah, then I got a phone call to say, would you like to come in for an interview? Um, I did. And it was a long process. It wasn't that I just walked into the job whatsoever. It took about uh, at least a couple of months from start to finish. I had to, I got through sort of one thing and then they said, no, come back and do this for us and then come back and do this for us. Um, And then I finally got the job. And my first round was Sandown at last year. So that was March 12th was my first day. And that was three days before we went to Sandown. So it was, yeah, very big week that week um and it's funny when you first start in supercars everyone talks to you about this event fitness thing and you go what do you mean you're like well you're not event fit yet once you've done you know a few rounds you'll then be event fit i don't know what you're talking about what you want about and then the monday after sandown i realized what they were talking about it's that you're so freaking tired 
because the hours that you're working, like our job finishes after the race, our job, sorry, our job starts after the race finishes. So we're writing about the race. So everything that we do happens post-race. So most of the time we don't get away from the circuit. On a Sunday, you might be lucky before 9, 10 o'clock. So, and then you're doing that back to back, especially sprint rounds, it's intense. So then the Monday after Sandown, I was like a complete zombie. I'm pretty sure I just cried continuously until I slept. And then you're like, ah, I get what you're talking about. And then you'd find by sort of mid-year by Darwin, I'd cracked it. And I was like, okay, I can do a full weekend and then you know, our work doesn't stop. The website still churns. So we're back writing and creating content from the Monday again. So we don't really yeah. get a day off in between rounds, really, apart from obviously when we have our next free weekend. So, yeah, I think that as much as I loved my first sort of year in supercars, I think six months of it were a complete blur because I was so tired. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you talk about the event fit um, side of things because I heard a term very similar to that when we actually met at Sydney Motorsport Park uh, for the Shannons Nationals and you were there uh, for the FIA Girls on Track. Mm. And um, Olga, I cannot remember her last name, but kick-ass stunt woman. Oh, yes. Um, and was it you that was doing the fitness one outside as well? Yes, it was me pretending that I was fit. Yes, that was me. Okay, so it must have been you that used Event. Was it you that used Event Fit, or was it? Yes, yeah, it definitely yeah. would have been me. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, because you're totally, because you're very big on that with the with the girls, and um, yeah, that was an um, amazing amazing program. It was my first time seeing the FIA Girls on Track program run. Um, I'd got asked um, by Motorsport Australia to pop up and um, capture some lovely photos of the of the um, you know, event happening and, of course, um, uh, all of your presenters that day. Um, I still think one of my favourite photos is actually of uh, Romy um, when the TA2s came screaming past behind her um, in the middle of a speech out, outside to the girls and, yeah, everyone just turned around and, you know, lost, lost interest in what Romy was saying. <laughs> uh, sorry, not Romy. Um, Romy was inside doing the technical stuff, my bad. Uh, Olga, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Olga. Yeah. Romy, of course, is Triple um, Eight engineer who was inside doing STEM. So, yeah, my bad. No. Sorry, Romy. No, um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. That was, I do remember that moment as well. In that, and Formula, I think Formula V were there as well, or Formula Ford. Um, and yeah, all, all the girls just turned around and were watching it. Um, including myself. There's several photos at the back of my head from that, that <laughs> um, day. And, yeah, it's just like, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Girls on Track a bit later, but it's just such a wonderful program that I'm so proud to be a part of and the work that's gone into it and just just to see girls' faces light up. Some of them, it's their first instance of even seeing anything on wheels and then others, it's, you know, they're yeah, grown up in motorsport families and this is just another step, like pushing them in the direction that they want to go. But, yeah, and the fact that it's so varied and you get to do lots of different things and get really bad fitness advice from me, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, it's a wonderful program. 
Well, there, it was that, that was actually a tiny little segue into the into the girls on track thing, because um, we'll sort of we'll come back to supercars a bit a bit later. Um, so the girls on track program um, for anyone that hasn't listened to me ramble about how amazing it is. Um, how how number one? How did you get involved with the program, and then? How would you describe the actual program? Like, what what is the Girls on Track program? So, how I got involved is I saw that it was something that Jess Dane was involved in. Um, I'm extremely grateful to now call Jess Dane one of my peers. However, she's someone that I've looked up to for a very long time. Even though she's younger than me, I look up to her, but that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she actually brought the um, program over from the UK. So it's actually started, Dare to be Different, started by Susie Wolf. Um, if you don't know who Susie Wolf is, she's a very accomplished uh, professional racing driver in her own right, and she's yes. also the wife of Toto Wolf. Yeah, um, some people need to remember that she's actually a very accomplished driver. Yes. And I think that probably being the wife of Toto Wolf held her back um, because I think a lot of people were sceptical of her um credentials because they're like oh just because she's toto's wife everyone wants to kiss toto's butt and yeah it's a bit unfortunate for her but yeah anyway but that's part of why girls on track exists as well yes exactly so yeah i I hear what you're saying and i guess i genuinely don't know enough about it to be honest but it's yeah i i always make sure i say Susie wolf an accomplished driver in her own right and yes she's married to toto wolf i think it's very important that there's many women within this sport that yeah are are married or involved with or have been married or whatever to other men in the sport and i personally think it's really important to talk about a woman and her own credentials first and then say that she's yeah and she's married to or and she's this that and the other um Yeah, so you'll always hear that from me. And I'll get off my soapbox now and talk about the other things. So, no, okay, <laughs> out there as long as you want. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so brought over by Jess Dane, and then it changed to sort of Motorsport Australia Girls on Track. And just purely just the name, the sort of um, program itself is very sort of similar to what was kind of brought over um and that's how i got involved i saw that jess was doing it and i was like you know this is something that i would love to be a part of and love to yeah volunteer my time to because yeah exactly what i said about you know looking around grassroots motorsport and just not seeing enough girls there and in all roles this isn't just about having women in jobs like what i do because i feel that there are visible women doing amazing things, Jess Yates, Rihanna Crean, uh, Bryony Ingerson, that really forged pathways for women like me to come through. And I get the comment all the time, oh, you popped out of nowhere. Yeah, I still worked hard for it, but it's also there's women that have come before me that have made it, made it easier for me to do what I do. So I'm always grateful for that. Um, and then I think that was the reason why I wanted to be involved to see more girls in lots of different roles, especially engineering roles and mechanical roles. And it would be great to have a driver back. It definitely would. Um, I think that's the only thing that I would say I don't feel super confident about, unfortunately, because 
uh, sponsorship plays a massive role in our game. And I would just like to see more sponsors and more businesses get on board with female races. We've seen it happen so well in the W Series. Uh, we've seen it happen, um, you know, the uh, Formula UAE. They've got a lot of female drivers. I would love to see it happen over here. I remain hopeful, but sometimes I find feel like it's a really big thing to climb. However, the Girls on Track program is aimed at girls aged 8 to 18, school-age girls. Uh, they do partner with a lot of schools. Obviously, pre-COVID, it was a little bit easier for them to do that. Obviously, over COVID, it wasn't. However, yeah, there's a group of girls that come on down. Um, it's normally held during a race event, either yeah, in conjunction with supercars or conjunction with the Shannon's Nationals or in conjunction you know, with other events. Um, and yeah, they do STEM workshops, uh, pit stop challenges, uh, simulator challenges and fitness challenges as well. And then there's also some media and presenting that's involved too. So yeah, it's a wonderful program that the girls get to sample all different things. Um, I'm not allowed to do the pit stop challenge, even though I've asked quite a lot of times. I feel as if they might think I'll break it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys. And then I do it, and they're like, you're horrible. Don't do that again. Um, but, yes, I did the fitness challenge, and you know, it's really wonderful. You know, women like Emily Duggan and Charlotte Pointing, you know, race car drivers, help with the simulator challenge and give girls real driving tips and skills. I think that's amazing. You've got women like Cake Peck and... And Emma Norta Francesco, who are hosting the media events, which are very accomplished um, presenters and journalists in their own right. And yes, you've got Romy Mayer, who's a Triple Eight race engineer that helped Jamie Winkup win championships. Like she's a massive deal, and I fangirl all over her every time I see her. <laughs> uh, she's running STEM workshops, and there's so many other incredible women that are involved as well. And it, you know, um, Shannon Keeley from Erebus Motorsport, she's a very, very well-seasoned, um, sorry, beg your pardon, commercial manager at Erebus, and she's involved in someone that the girls can ask questions of and learn from. And I know that now the program is moving into more mentorship, whereas uh, whereas where I come in, I'm a girls on track and um, champion. So you've got the ambassadors that sort of run the, the programs and obviously are there for the girls on those workshops and also to learn from and mentor. And then you've got our champions, like there's myself, there's um, Courtney Tyler who works at Jam Motorsport over in South Australia. I know she's a champion. And, yeah, we're going to be mentoring young girls and actually helping them pave their careers in motorsport, which I think is so important. I know with me, I did, I'm did. i doing some stuff with my own um, online program, which is Careers with Gears, which is just getting girls together in an online space and having a panel discussion with a few women and men from different realms of motorsport because I was getting so many messages saying or asking how do you do this? How have you got to where you are? Like, I want to be an engineer or I want to be a mechanic or I want to be in media and I don't know how you went about doing it. So I saw a gap in the, yes, there's wonderful programs like Girls on Track that might introduce you to it, but then there's a gap of, okay, well, how do I actually go ahead and, and, and do this? So, um, yeah, I hosted my first one earlier in the year, about February, 
which was just fantastic. I, I was buzzing from it for like a week after. And I had Sharice Bristow, who's Triple Eight team coordinator, Courtney Tyler, as I mentioned before, came along, and Bryony Ingerson came along to sort of give a well-rounded view of how they achieved where they are at. And a resounding message was is that there was nothing like this for me I was trying to forge my career. So, well, to me, that proves that we need to have something like this. Um, yeah, and then I've hosted a couple of meet and greets at racetracks. So we did it at Sydney Motorsport Park for the season opener, and it was literally just the girls walking with me along pit lane uh, in the paddock and just talking to people and just saying, how do you do what you do? And, and then it's also a couple of the girls have gone and spent time with, you know, Sharice or Courtney and shadowed them for a day and just see what it's like because it's about not only creating those um, connections and those relationships, but it's also really seeing what it's about Um, because no one can prepare you for what I talk about being event fit. No one can prepare you for that. It's, It's not a job. It's not a nine to five and you need to be so aware going in that you are turn your life over to this but you do it because you love it and exactly and you don't see it as a, a, a job at all but then it's also the fact of what we were all saying to all the girls is really the way that you do this is show that you want to be there it's you turn up to a race event grassroots motorsport will welcome you with open arms because not only do they need the help but that's how everyone else got started so yeah. they welcome you and you can see all the different facets of motorsport that need to be done in order to go racing. So volunteering, getting in at grassroots level is exactly what you need to do. And then programs like Girls on Track and hopefully me and myself and a few of the girls from Supercars are helping to mentor um, so more and more girls will see it as an option for them. I think that's really what it's all about. It's just telling them that it's an option. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the um, you said it was that there is that gap after the Girls on Track program and even Ricardo's races. Mm. There's this massive gap between that and then going racing, which still needs to be filled mm. um, at a state level. Um and again, like, you know, in my many multitudes of projects that I want to get up and running is a juniors program um, where we don't go racing, but we go to, you know, like timed events and point to points and, you know, develop a junior team, you know, open to girls and boys. They come along, we provide them with a car. Their parents don't have to pay for a car because um, that's always the next thing is the money. Mm. Um and especially at the young age as well, you know, everyone knows, you know, when we were all kids, yeah, our hobbies changed every few months. Um, and for a parent to invest in a car for their kid to go racing, you know, they don't want to give them the daily driver. Um, it's a big commitment. So, you know, and that's that's where I think, um, you know, circuit racing definitely lacks is that, um, or motorsport as a general, is that, that stepping stone of, you know, not racing, but, you know, get a feel for what it's like to be in motorsport and and all that. And the program that I want to start up is actually with, um, so we'll have a car, we'll have um, each person, each kid will get to drive the car, but each kid will also work on the car. 
Yeah. Each kid will also be media for one of the rounds. So, you know, we'll teach him media, we'll teach him working on the car, looking after the car, you know, and driving the car. So they'll rotate between the roles at, you know, each event we do. So, you know, they don't all just drive, you know, we, we show, hey, there's other stuff you can do besides driving motorsport. Um, and, yeah, media's definitely somewhere I think that, again, you know, there's no clear way of how do you get into motorsport media? You know, it's, yeah, you look at like the Motorsport Australia accreditation and most people go, ah, how do I get this documentation and evidence to become Motorsport Australia accredited? Well, yeah, if you actually speak to Motorsport Australia, they'll tell you, well, all you need to do is actually make sure you got your Facebook page, publish your own photos, um, go to race meets, you know, don't be an idiot. Um, you know, and then we'll give you an accreditation to start out. Um, and then from there, you work your way up. It's up to you then, you know, to do it. But the way it reads and a lot of accreditations read all over the world is it's very, you know, you've got to already be established to get in, which obviously isn't the case. But, you know, but I think these sort of junior programs, like one you're doing, fantastic, you know, just bridge that gap between, um, yeah, the, 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 workshop stuff and being able to actually you know learn more and, and get more in depth yeah. um now i'm gonna th i'm gonna throw you over to brent um for a bit of a chat and then um i'll i'll be back i've got a few more questions and then we'll get into talk about supercars in perth because um, as i said in the intro returning for the first time in two years um and uh yep been over here for a supercars event have you no, I've never, never so, visited yeah. Earth. So, and it's going to be under lights, which is amazing. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. And it's and it's interesting. We had Nick Perkat was actually our sixth guest on this podcast, um, and he, I think, he, Brent, am I correct in saying that what he said, Wanneroo was one of his favourite tracks because it's so different. Yeah, I think we got we had a lot of drivers say that, especially pre-resurfacing because the time management was such a big thing. But because it's such a short lap, um, so you, they're getting into their flows easier, but it's so hard to make time up. Like you, you can throw a lap away on one corner, you can't make that back. And that's a, a challenge that a lot of people don't respect or, or understand. And Nick put a really good good twist on that fact, which I, which I really liked because – yeah, it's also, he had to drive a special setup. Some of the guys just for Wanneroo. Yeah, yeah, very different setup. Um, yeah. Even though it's a sprint, um, that that tire dig is is really hard. I mean, the resurfacing changed that a little bit, but that that uh, uh, a lot of right hand corners and a very short lap um, does just give it a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's always the one when we write about it. It's yeah, Wanneroo is punishing on tyres, and it leaves both driver and engineer just chasing tail the entire time to get that set up right. But yeah, like we've only been back there once since the resurfacing, and then this time we're going on Dunlop softs. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see who tackles it in what way. And personally, I just love going to any racetrack that Van Gisbergen has never won at because <laughs> because let, we can't we can never we can never say that he's not going to win. The guy is a weapon. He absolutely is. He's fantastic at what he does. But when you can say 
hey, Van Gisbergen, how do you feel about not winning at this circuit and just sit, watch his face? <laughs> I take joy in that and he knows it. Because <laughs> you can't say it in many places. You can't say it in many places. Very cool. Very cool. All right, over to you, Brent. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, so normally I'm like the, the, the uh, tech geek or the motorsport geek, but uh, um, being a racer as well, that sort of helps with that. But uh, sports sedans in, in your past, massive tick from me. That's my all-time favorite category. That's why I spend so many dumb hours and dollars on it. Um, oh, I hear yeah. you. I hear you, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not so much money. It's the time, but you don't give it that. But massive tick from me. Um, but I've got some other questions because what you do is really, really cool. And uh, like, Shane, uh, like Shane, Shane said, there's a big gap between how people perceive what media is supposed to be and how you get to that point. And, you know, like you've, you've dug in from the bottom up being a, uh, a volley all the way through, paid your penance and, and done the right thing, right? Um so it's you. You kind of got a really good grasp or, or uh, zero in grip on it. Um, so, in, in your eyes, um, what what do you think makes a really good motorsport media person? Like, is there a, a certain trait that you think there is, or skill, whatever? Yeah, gosh, that's a really interesting question for me because um, I wouldn't say that I am someone that. I'm not technical in any way, but I feel motorsport needs, it needs different things for different audiences. So my, like the team that I'm in, we have our, I call it, well, we all call him the matrix because he can pull out a stat like he, you know, he's in his mid twenties, but he can pull out a stat from anywhere. You literally say, Hey, what happened in that race? Um, at, you know, yeah, at Wanneroo in 2012 between so-and-so and such-and-such, and he'll go, oh, yeah, that was at turn five, and this is what happened, that's what happened. And you go, oh, my God, like just plucks it out of nowhere. Whereas me, that's exactly how I would explain it. I'd go, oh, who is it with that person and this one and that one? However, yeah, however <laughs> um, I can tell you, you know, about their life and about – what it took for them to get to that certain point or yes, I can tell you their dog's name and all those other, other parts that make them someone that you can invest in and want to follow and want to back. Like that's, that's where I see my kind of job lies. And then also shining a light on the people of the sport. I'm exceptionally, like I've, obviously I've talked about volleys. I've talked about women, I'm very passionate about showing the people that are behind the sport that make the sport happen. Um, in terms of skills, I think you're someone that, again, is needs to be dedicated to the sport, needs to understand what the drivers and the teams, everyone involved goes through in order to actually get to a racetrack. Um, as it goes on, what I find actually really interesting is I'm getting really technically interested in Gen 3. Um, that in itself is a really exciting chapter for our sport and I find it a personal challenge to try and understand the technicalities of those cars because current Gen, I think I've come in too late. I'm, I'm never going to understand all the intricacies of that car. However, with Gen 3 coming in at the ground up, I think it's good to have a, a good grasp on the machinery that we deal with 
And then also it's about the circuits and understanding, okay, yes, like Wanneroo, we know it's going to be punishing on tyres. Um, you know, going to Tassie, okay, the hairpin, that's something you have to look out for, catches everyone out every single time. So there's definitely those sort of skills that you need to have. And then I think in terms of what you need to be as a journalist, you need to be super adaptable because our job is changing. You know, we there's so much more focus on socials, obviously digital, video. Our job as a journalist is very much evolving. That's why I put a bit more effort into script writing, voiceovers, presenting, doing Facebook lives to try and not only be as useful as I can possibly be, but also kind of future-proof myself as well. I think the written word will always be around, but I think audiences are wanting more visual things, so we need to adapt with that as well. Cool. Spot spot on. Um, yeah, so a lot of all-rounded stuff um, doesn't necessarily need to be technical, but good with doing your groundwork. I think it's like the key takeaway there. Yeah, and I think also I should say building relationships. I think relationships with everyone is really important, and no matter what job you do, but I think yeah. um, in order to get my job done, if I didn't build those good relationships and like it is, it's about having banter with people. You know, like me and Warren Luff, for example, we only communicate in dad jokes. So we don't say, <laughs> how are you, how are you going? We send each other dad jokes. And, That's awesome. Yeah, and then when Will Davison found out about the dad jokes page that I follow, he thought it was the best thing ever. And, you know, like yeah. that's that's the kind of thing. And it's just being, like it is just being a good human and just having a laugh because, yeah, you're with these people. They become your family, like in a, in a weird way. Not that I think Chas Mostert wants me in his family, but, you know, I think you, you travel a lot with them and you see them all the time. And oh, it's a workplace at the yeah. end of the day for you guys. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You just need to, yeah, you just need to be good at building relationships and nurturing them as well. How, how good is Warren Luff? I, I really rate that guy. Oh, my God, I love him so much. And he will listen to this and be like, meh. Um, so we just hosted <laughs> World Time Attack together. Yep. And uh, we Stinky, were, I mean, Ian. Yeah, we were friends. Like we've been friends like, purely through sending each other dad jokes. We became quite good friends and um, met him at obviously a few racetracks, saw him in Sydney, obviously Bathurst, um, but he's an excellent co-driver, excellent co-driver, excellent driver. He And he's just a, a really nice guy, really nice guy. And I think he did get a little bit ticked off when I compared the size of a turbo to the size of his hairdryer. He <laughs> Well, it's the nicknames for him is hairdryers, so yeah. yeah. Um, he he will get me back for that. I'm on high alert for when he tries to he does get me back for that comment because I did it uh, live on air. So uh, just don't compare him to Dragon Ball Z characters; you'll be fine. <laughs> Dragon, so, Dragon Ball Z, brilliant! <laughs> I'm going to use yeah. that. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Um, what what do you call a burnt down Woolworths? Oh, what do we call? Coles. Oh, brilliant. It's my son's favourite dad joke. Oh, oh. God. <laughs> well, my proudest parent moment ever was we were unloading the shopping because I get it delivered. We're unloading the shopping and my son picked up um, some frozen peas and he said, 
I come in peas. Oh, God. That was the yep. proudest parent moment I've had ever. Brilliant. So I'm raising you right. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, so cool. And sort of on that that line of where Shane was going before is what we do in the gap between some of these programs and then when you're out in the real world and, and stuff like that. Um, do you think we do enough to, to help the up and coming creative and, and uh, you know, help them get to where they need to be and, and figure out their, their part, be it a, a videographer or a, uh, you know, someone who likes to write a lot. There's not, not a lot of that left anymore. People just, you know, f trying to find their bit of where they fit in the puzzle. Do you think, because it's, it's not something you can really learn unless you know someone, right? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely something you need to be aware of already. I think that's definitely – so that gap, I think, if you're not in a motorsport family, it's not something that's, like, you're completely aware of. And I think that that gap needs definitely needs to be addressed. However, I think if you show that you want to be there, motorsport welcomes you with open arms. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been – so like quickly accepted by a, a group or a community than I have in motorsport. And yeah, like a lot of them say I popped out of the snow like a daisy and I did because I, you know, I'd spent a lot of my life not chasing the dream and then I chased the dream and I had to go for it hard. But as soon, but, and this is what I say to a lot of girls that, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I just want to promote girls. I absolutely want to see more boys as well. But boys don't reach out to me because I'm a girl. So I think that's probably a good thing to kind of say. But if a boy ever reached out to me and wanted help, absolutely. And I have had some boys and I absolutely re help them. I absolutely would. It's not a boy or girl thing for me. Um, but I think it's as soon as you show that you want to be there, and you want you do want to work hard and you do want to dedicate yourself to it honestly opportunities do come flying at you they they do because people are like perfect that person wants to be here that person gets it let's give them a shot and i do feel like that really does happen i just wish that we had a paddock the double the size of what we did so that we could just offer more and more kids opportunities to do it but you know at the end of the day um we only have you know, 20 odd cars on the grid and there's only so many teams and there's only so many roles, but hopefully there's other categories begin to grow as well. And we grow and more and more people can just get involved. Cool. Yep. No, I think it's just that overall awareness and asking for help. It's a big thing. Most of us are too proud to, or to uh, uh, just don't think it's the right thing to do, but man, everyone needs help with everything. And uh, like you said, most sport, everyone is. It's it's a, it's funny because it's a weird sport because everyone is so stupidly passionate about it. I don't know what it is about motorsport, and you know, uh, being a lot of other sports, I, I don't think it's just different. I don't know. It just hits different. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Um, it's the nitro methane that melts your brain when you stand next to a top fueler. That's definitely what does it. Yeah, it's got to be something along those lines. All those. Uh, depleted o2 cells skipping around yeah. but uh yeah. yeah and and i can't take uh credit for all these questions as well so i've had help from some of the uh, i've reached out and asked a couple of people so a uh, big shout out to simon and uh, a few others there so um so yeah. that's simon is that simon fryer from from joy, joy drive 
Yeah, and I and I, I um, hit up Mr. Nolte as well uh, just before. <laughs> I should have hit him up a little bit earlier because he's one busy dude. But uh, I've I've met him a few times over the years, and he's a he's a good egg and always happy to lend to his two cents. Um, yeah, which comes to the next one. Um, as my phone goes bonkers, what challenges um, have you had to face in you know with your social media presence and and supercars and stuff? And and I'm not saying on the bad side of the fence because there's, there's trolls and stuff everywhere that's just crap but other challenges that you might not have expected or, or something you'd uh, wish someone had told you before you started you know getting into the world um i think challenges i face obviously balancing a family um you know i'm away quite a lot as i said i've been away for the last three weekends balancing that is um is tough um, but I have a very, very supportive network, so I think that's important to give them a shout-out and, and thank them for that. Uh, other than that, challenges-wise, is just backing yourself. I struggle with that quite a lot, um, believing that, you know, you should be here and you deserve to be here. I, again, something I struggle with. And it's funny, I was at a Women in Leadership breakfast at the Grand Prix that was hosted by... Um, Madam Wills and who was there? Sorry, I feel really bad. The Lord Mayor of Melbourne was there. And also there was a, a other other women and one of the massive things that they were saying was imposter syndrome. It's something that just affects all of us, but none of us really talk about the fact that you'll be doing a job that you've obviously proven that you can do, but you'll stand there and go, oh, my gosh, like, what am I like? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And it's overcoming that challenge in your own mind that wants to hold you back because it wants you to stay safe and not make an idiot of yourself. I think my probably idiot filter maybe isn't as strong as other people's because I sometimes say things and go, Oh my good God, like, yeah, dad jokes or, you know, I embarrass yeah. myself in other ways. Um, you know, yeah talking about Luffy and his hair dryer, things like that. Maybe my idiot filter isn't as strong as others, but um, it's, yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me is there's people that have been in this sport for decades and here comes me who's super keen to be there and super happy and is bounding all over the place because just loves the sport um, and you sort of go, well, you know, I can't ask this person a question because I've been here all of five minutes, but really the when i get feedback from other people like fans or other people that i've spoken to you know outside of the sport they say well i love your question because it's the kind of question that i would ask as like a casual fan i would want to know that thing so just because you're not something that you see all the time because you're not that um you know well-seasoned broadcaster that's exceptionally polished and knows yeah absolutely everything you still do have value because you're coming in from a different angle. And I think that's really, that's been a big challenge for me to, to overcome. Cool. Yeah. Um, I get the, the, uh, having that, uh, sense or, you know, worried about the idiot filter. Cause sometimes I, uh, you know, I can be a bit, yeah. uh, <laughs> Shane's laughing at me, but that's sort of my MO really. Um, you know, and just be happy, dude, and love my motorsport. And I think every report card I ever had just speaks before he thinks, sort of deal. So, um, but, but I, and, and the same right, I do back myself and I do try to be positive. It's, um, 
Yeah, I think you mentioned before, you know, when you're talking about some of your experience earlier on with, you know, when your husband was in sports dance and stuff, and it can be a pretty emotive roller coaster. Um, and and trying to deal with that sometimes can be pretty hard. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it can, can get pretty hard. Um, on, on a more personal note, well, not really too personal, but who's the favourite person you've ever had to um, interview? You've obviously been around a lot of our you know, what we locally call the stars of our sports. So um, who's been your favourite other than uh, Luffy with his Goku haircut and um, and addiction to hair dries? <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to get yourself in trouble with Luffy now. Um, oh, gosh, who's my favourite? That is that is honestly one of the toughest questions to answer because I've been so lucky to interview some amazing, amazing people. And, oh, like... And now that they kind of know my name, I'm like, oh, my good God. Like, you know, Mark Scaife knows my name and, you know, he and like him or don't like him or Holden or Ford or whatever, you know, he accomplished some amazing things in this sport. And, you know, just to like, I'm going to seriously, seriously humble brag here, but I got a hot lap in the Gen 3 Camaro with Garth Tander in Tassie. And awesome. I got out of the car. It was my first hot lap ever. I got out of the car and I had a debrief with Mark Scaife. Like he wanted to know what I thought. I was like, "This, what is happening? This is, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't happening right now. It's amazing." So I have experiences like that that I pinch myself about all the time. Um, people that I've interviewed, gosh, gosh, gosh. Uh, Molly Taylor, absolutely loved speaking to her. Um, she blows me away with just what she's accomplished and just how normal she is um, considering everything that she's done. Um, Craig Lowndes, I've interviewed Larry Perkins. I've interviewed Dick Johnson. Gosh, I'm name dropping. I've interviewed Marcus Ambrose. There's just so many. Oh, Ambrose is cool. Oh, just, I interviewed him after he joined the broadcast in Tassie last year and he had a spin in the DJR Mustang as well. And that was just great to chat to him and get his take because at the time, Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale were getting absolutely served about because they were taking over from Shane and Fabian and they were just getting a real hard time and we all kind of thought it was really quite unfair, the fact that the fans were dragging them over the coals about their performances after, like, two rounds. is a bit ridiculous. And even when, you know, Davison had popped it on the podium um, at Mount Panorama. And, yeah, so he came in and was like, you know, these guys are going to do it. These guys have, have got the goods. You know, they're working well together. And it was just... Like, I think for me to interview him and just to get, you know, to hear him say that and then to be able to put that out in the world and be like, you know, Marcus Ambrose backs these guys. You need to back these guys. You know, he's a legend of the sport. Like, come on. Mm. I think for me, I I really enjoyed that experience with Marcos. I think, yeah, he's genuinely a, a lovely man. And, and, again, his daughters are into karting. Um, they cart, um, you know, in Tasmania where he lives. And, yeah, I can't wait to hopefully see those girls, um, yeah, do a lot more in motorsport as well. Uh, who else have I interviewed that I really, really enjoyed? Uh, yeah, Scott McLaughlin. I never got to meet him in person, mm. unfortunately, but I got to interview him last year and asked him all about Matt Payne 
Um, and it was after he said he couldn't come to Bathurst, um, um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, this year he'll come. Hopefully, that'll be amazing. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I've interviewed some amazing, amazing people in our sport, and I hope to, yeah, one day add a whole bunch more to that. Um, one of my favourite people to interview, just in general, though, is Jamie Winkup. Um, yeah. He's just such a great guy, and I think him and I will chat about life in general and about kids and about, you know, he normally gives me we don't end up talking about boats and then we'll jump into an interview and we have a chat and then afterwards we jump back into just talking about life and then, you know, he says, oh, I'd love you to see you. And, and I literally stand there for about five minutes after and go, oh, my God, you just had a good old chat <laughs> to Jamie Winker like he was a friend. Look, what is going on? And it's just, super, yeah, it's super fun. cool. Yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah you, pun, you just pinch yourself for moments like that, like that you get to chat to someone that is just genuinely lovely. And, yeah, and then you also get, like, inside jokes with them. Like there was a thing that happened when Perez was driving the form uh, – sorry, beg your pardon. When Perez was driving the spare Red Bull car at Albert Park on the weekend, you know, Jamie and I were sharing a joke and you just think, like, that's brilliant. <laughs> you just yeah. get to have like, you know, funny little jokes with a seven time champion of the sport. Like if you'd have told Charlie back two years ago, that was happening, she would not have believed you. And yeah, I, I genuinely am so grateful for those moments for sure. No, that's, that's cool. Sorry, Shane, go ahead. I was just going to say one of my favorite guests we've actually had on the um, podcast so far. And I think you're probably going to agree with me on this one, Brent, was Brad Jones? Yeah, hundred percent. Have you have you ever had the chance to have a chat with him? Uh, I've briefly interviewed him about the team. What was it uh, in Bathurst? They had a milestone. I'm so sorry. I'm going to forget what the milestone was now. I want to say 350 rounds. I forget stats all the time. So we need the stats guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just remember the balloons. I remember the balloons. I, yeah. I feel like it was probably 350 or 300 rounds. Um, it was a big one. It's definitely a big one. Um, and I briefly interviewed him there. But other than that, just around the circuit when I see him, um, normally he comes and asks me for a uh, pit lane walk pass, which always cracks me up. I always find that really funny. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's just, again, someone that's got such heritage in this sport. And I'm a big fan of Macaulay Jones as a, yeah. as a driver and as a human being. Um, I think he's wonderful. So um, the, the most relaxed guy ever. But he, um, think, um, yeah, yeah we, we saw a lot of his nostrils because we're doing video interviews at that stage. <laughs> um, and um, just it was it was like having a chat with, you know, like he's worse at technology grand, than me. <laughs> I don't want to say grandfather because I don't want to say he's old, but you know, it was yeah. like that sort of thing. You know, you're having a voice, a video call, you know, <laughs> with, with an older relative who's not that great with, with uh, technology. And you know, him and his wife are having a bit of banter. You know, during during the podcast, you know, as well, you know, and it's all recorded and you know, it was just a lovely interview. And yeah, you know, that was someone who, you know, obviously growing up um, in Australia and, you know, around, you know, I didn't grow up around motorsport, but we had motorsport 
sort of ties, you know, the my dad's um, old company used to sponsor um, a couple of drivers. Um, they they also had their sponsorship on a Formula One car at one stage, um, and um, and then one of um, one of uh, the IT business's first uh, original customers that we had was a racer who uh, actually turned out to be a dodgy lawyer and had conned a lot of money. Um, allegedly, I'm going to say, even though he has been to jail for it, um, which was Rowan Skay. Um, and, you know, like, so we, so we always had some sort of, you know, tie to motorsport, you know, without being involved with motorsport. Um, and, you know, like we used to go out to Wanneroo, um, you know, back in the eighties and nineties and, you know, you could get right up, you know, right up next to, you know, a Peter Brock wanker. Um, and <laughs> which you won't hear a lot of people say about him. Um, but to hear like, and then to like actually chat with Brad Jones, um, you know, who had grown up watching was, you know, so cool. Um, and then for him to have a little cheeky dig at Peter Brock in that interview as well was fantastic. So, um, which was that Peter Brock's fastest lap around Mount Panorama was actually as a passenger in Brad Jones's car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, race drivers. <laughs> yeah. no, Brad was cool. He, he was, he's super relaxed and he's having, you know, having wine and, the, you know, some of the, yeah. the, the um, you know, overseas stories and stuff is what we really liked. Um, Jackie Chan stuff. But anyway, yep, sorry, I'll digress. Back to you, Brent. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I've got two more quick questions. So, um, and I'll ask this one first, which I should have asked before, and then I'll ask an F1 style question, then Shane will know to lead in after that. Um, so you said something before when we were just chatting before we got into it. You said there's sort of the unwritten rule around, you, you know, for the for your media moguls to not really ask for selfies. And um, I'm sort of stuck in the late 90s where I still love, or early 2000s or wherever, where I love selfies. Um, what's, the, what's the reasoning there? Is it just because um, it's all about that front of, I don't know, media, you're the person present sort of thing, or is it, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those, um, yeah, journalists don't ask for selfies with famous people because you should be doing your job, you know, interviewing them. Professional Um, and shit. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, I'd never, I never ask for one, you know, prior to an interview or anything like that. Um, And there's only select people that, you know, I have asked you know, Toby Price being one of them because I was just stoked that you knew my name. And um, I did ask for one from Chaz and Sydney last year. Um, and, you know, that, that one was for my son. Um, the only one I will say is that I took a selfie with James Courtney before he got the podium in Sydney one. Um, and I'm going to say that I'm his good luck charm. So... Take it or leave it, James Courtney. But you know, I did, <laughs> did get a selfie with you, and then you got on the podium. Um, but yeah, I think it is just one of those unwritten rules of you meant to be professional. Don't ask for selfies. But then what I do is then I just give my phone to someone else while I'm doing the interview and say, just take a couple of photos <laughs> while I'm doing it. So then you just get around that way. And then, but it's it is it's like you you kind of want a photo with someone that you admire. But then also it's that thing of, yeah, you need to share it on social media to show other people that that's what you do. Like I know it's a really vain thing to say, but it is like you want to capture that moment and then, you know, share it with other people to show that this is what you do. 
Mm, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's how I think because it's more just a, you know, this is this is where we are. This is what we're doing. People sort of seem to, you know, you could post a photo of a rad car, but you take a photo of your cheesy mug in front of a racetrack. People resonate with that a lot more. That's that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And, and more. Yeah, I got a lot of family in New Zealand, um, and and I was lucky enough I got to work in a lot of places around the world. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just stuck in the '90s, and that's still what I think's the normal thing to do. No, not at all. I do the same thing. Like, yeah, I posted a literally. It's got all my selfies from Albert Park that I posted earlier in the weekend, and it is. It's just pure selfies of me in pit lane selfie with me and toby price yeah. selfie with me and tahan selfie with me and, and uh yeah. yeah there's a whole bunch of selfies that's yeah i love a selfie yeah, yeah that's with, really um cool. lando no i didn't get any with any, um someone else, someone else got a selfie is it molly with lando Mm. Molly had that little montage of all the cool stuff she saw as well, which I thought oh, was really, really rad. Oh, so amazing. Just so amazing. I got one with Tim from the Reserve Drivers. I met him. I was so excited to meet Tim. Tim McDonald. He's so good. Cool. Yeah, I um, was anyway. Hmm. And the last one we got is sort of um, in the F1 terms, George Russell seems to be like the most polished at the moment, especially for how young he is, you know, when you're talking about interviews and appearances and just his, his general presence, he's, he's just very, very polished. I don't know if that's an English thing, um, but compared to Lando, you know, whether they're trying to make Lando ultra relaxed and more of a Ricardo type character, but um, George just seems very, very polished, right? Obviously, those guys multi multi millionaires already at that stage, so they get a lot. They can have all the help in the world, or they can hire all the help in the world. Plus, the teams put a lot of effort into that. You get to see a little bit of that in the, in the um, you know the Netflix show thing. Um, do the supercar guys, because you're you're in that mix, right? Do the supercar guys go through that kind of guidance and lessons and stuff, or do they just get have to pick it up on the fly? And it's the older heads that sort of have already figured it out, right? Um, so I think. I would say that our supercars drivers are quite possibly better than Formula One drivers in terms of their media skills and understanding it because they're representing sponsors from a, a very young age. Um, so they do become very good at you know, appearing on camera and being good on camera. Um, I think that certainly once they kind of reach Super 2, it's definitely something that we try and get them on camera as much as possible, get them doing press conferences to try and, and assist them with feeling more comfortable and feeling like they can be themselves. But, yeah, some of them do, definitely. Um, from a younger age, they go through media training or that they are quite naturally good at it as well. Um, I know that there are some that haven't, well, yeah, that haven't kind of gone through specific media training, but have certainly picked it up along the way. And then also their teams help them. You know, they have a PR and media manager that will, will assist them, that will help them, that will say, okay, this is, you know, whether it goes down the line of this is what you, they don't really say this is what you have to say, but this is like, this is what we're trying to get across in this or try and guide them in that kind of way. Um but I will say in supercars, we have so much access to the drivers at all times. I don't think there's many other categories across the world where as soon as they get out of the car or sometimes in the car during two-part qualifying that we're sticking a microphone in their face and actually in the car with them. 
Um, you don't yeah. see, you definitely don't see that in Formula One. Uh, you definitely don't see it in other categories around that our guys are so super accessible. Um, we're in the pits, we're in their garages, we're walking around all the time. And yeah, and also from my perspective about sort of being website and we do a lot of commercial things with the drivers as well, that's another part of their role. So I think in Sydney we handed Nick Perkat a microphone and he had to do a commercial piece for, I think it was Coates, and he had to go and interview a whole bunch of drivers. And we didn't have to really give him any notes on how to do it. He just went and did it and he was good. And, you know, I think our guys probably deserve a lot more credit for how good they are on camera and how they deal with the, the, the massive access that, broadcast and we as a digital team are given to them while they're literally in the throes of racing and um yeah i think they i think they all do really really well like i know shane loves to try and catch us out with you never ask him a closed question just anyone coming up through the ranks of media never ask shane van gisbergen a closed question you will get a yes or no and it's embarrassing (laughs) and you just have to continue if you, if you say oh happy with that they'll go yeah it's good and you go oh oh my god and then have to think of something else so um yeah you some guys you have to adapt your questioning around to get stuff out of them but certainly they're they are good and they are accommodating mostly Ah, cool. No, that's that's awesome to hear. And yeah, some of our supercars guys, and and especially some of the younger ones as well, they are very very good. So, no, cool to hear. Um, yeah, thank thank you so much for the time. Thanks for the bit of the insight into what you do. It's a part of the sport that I don't think uh, many people understand, uh, especially with how commercialised things are. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a really cool cool spin on things, and really cool to see that someone's been able to get in from the from the doing the old school hard yards door knocking type thing that's a really cool part of the story that i really enjoyed awesome thank you yeah definitely was definitely definitely i think it was more kicking doors more than knocking on them (laughs) knocking sounds a bit polite compared to what i did (laughs) it's funny you mentioned the uh nick percat um microphone thing because i saw a piece that they did for motorsport australia uh him and him and chaz and um Nick's trying to interview Chaz, you know, to get him to talk about the the volunteers and Chaz just keeps going, I'm Nick, I'm Nick, I'm Nick. <laughs> so that's, yeah, pretty funny. But we, um, we did something similar. So we've got a, um, on my commercial side of things, you know, so we've got Behind the Sport, which is the podcast and website and that. Um, we do the commercial stuff, you know, where, you know, we look after um, a few young races and that. We actually got one of the young races. We did the same um last year we handed him a microphone because he wasn't racing um, and handed him a microphone and said, right, we're going to follow you around, go interview the other drivers. Um, and the, and he's an awkward, very tall 17-year-old kid, Chase Hoy, um, you know, gun behind the wheel. Um, and just to see him, you know, go around and, you know, ask, you know, the seasoned drivers, you know, oh, you know, like Grant Johnson, you know, former supercars driver, super utes driver, Oh, hey, can you give us some tips on how to go faster? You know, like, you know, are you ever going to let your teammate win? You know, all this sort of stuff, you know, and just absolutely cheeky. And it was so fantastic and well received as well. You know, so the drivers um, got to show a very different side of themselves, you know, answering questions to another driver. Mm-hmm. 
as whereas I think with media they they change their answers a bit. Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool that, that he did that. Yeah. Um, so couple of weeks away, Supercars returns to Perth. It's been two years, 2020, 2021. Yeah. Yep. Um, are you excited to come over? Oh, definitely. I've never been to Perth before, so I cannot wait. Um, Jake and Brody a couple of weeks ago, well, yes, week before last, yes, um, went back over. It's obviously their home state and they hadn't been back in, you know, over two years and they went and did the big zip line, which I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get to do that while I'm there because I'm going to be so busy working. But I'm very <laughs> excited just to be in Perth and see yeah, everyone uh, everyone talks about everyone up on the hill. I want to I want to see people up on this hill, yeah. <laughs> Wanneroo, and yeah, racing under lights. It's going to be really good. And I think we've got a lot of drivers that haven't driven a supercar around Wanneroo, which is interesting. And, That's going to be thing, yep. Yeah, and we've got Cam Waters celebrating a good milestone at Wanneroo somewhere he's won before in Super Two. So I'm looking forward to yeah being there and just being back in the atmosphere. I've been told that, yeah, tickets are selling well and it's going to be a great event. Yeah, the um, I think, yeah, the two-year hiatus. I mean, you saw it with, with F1, you know, two-year hiatus from Melbourne and, you know, biggest crowd on, in Formula 1 um, history, I believe, was, mm. you know, was broken. Um, so, you know, Perth will be interesting to see, you know, how they how – Obviously, we all turn out for it. Um, I'm very much looking forward to getting getting uh, in there, you know, with with what we're doing up there because um, yeah, we look after the track for their media stuff, and um, yeah, we're hopefully going to be presenting something a bit different after the race meet about sort of supercars and their visit and that. Um, but from from your perspective, you know, like you, so you're coming to a track you haven't been to before. Um, you know, obviously there's there's lots of other people that have been to the track. How are you preparing yourself for for this track? Well, yeah, speaking from my own experience, and I have to say this, I speak as myself, not as the sport. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I think what I actually do is there's a few pieces of content that I create before each round, which really helps me. So this year I've been doing it as a video piece with a voiceover and it's the top five contenders. So who we think is going to go well, not not just at that race meet, but obviously based on how their season's going so far. So, you know, we have something called the Bible, which is the um, 2022 Supercars Guide, which has every single stat for each circuit in it who's won, who's done a poll, how many podiums, what year, what team they were in. And I literally study that part of the Bible for each circuit. Um, so that's how I know that, you know, uh, Van Gisbergen has never won there. He's never had a podium there, even though he started from pole in 2018, didn't convert. You know, Frosty's the third most winningest driver at Wanneroo. He's won seven times. He's had 13 podiums. And then in the last six races since 2017, it's been the DJR powerhouse. So no one has won a race there other than Fabian Coulthard or Scott McLaughlin since 2017. So those are the things that I study. So I know that kind of background knowledge. 
However, <laughs> this is motorsport and <laughs> anything can happen. Uh, as I said before, Shane Van Gisbergen, you can never write the guy off. At Albert Park, he started 23rd and finished third. And that's not a fluke. You know, last year in Sandown with a broken, we thought was just broken collarbone, it turned out broken ribs as well. He went from 17th to first in the rain. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I'm never going to write the guy off, but I think it's, yeah, that's how I prepare is I create those top five contender pieces and I prepare a pre-brief, which is where I look at different things. Like, okay. So what's actual the racing this weekend. So we're going to have uh, three races, 46 laps. We're going on the soft tire. What does that mean? Okay. Well, it's normally known as quite a abrasive track that it tears up tires, but it was resurfaced in 2019. So there's all these questions as well that what we try and answer through our content and then also that they try and answer in broadcast um, yeah, those are the kinds of things that I do to prepare to make sure that I know enough about the circuit, enough about the form guide, and but yet have some sort of questions lingering that I hope we get answered over the weekend. The um, support categories for the weekend, we've got the historic touring cars, uh, the locally based ones, and you've also got Radical Cup Australia. Mm -hmm. um, is there any others racing? So Super 2 are coming, oh, so yep. they'll, they'll be there. And Super Utes, I believe, will Super be Utes, coming okay. over. So there's four support categories, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Radicals, it's going to be very exciting because it's their Perth debut. They've never been in their current form, their new form. They've never been over to Perth, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. And of course, Arise Racing is the WA. Um, actually, that's another one for the kitty, isn't it, Brent, of mentioning Arise Racing on this podcast? Um <laughs> They, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to see when those checks are going to start happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Rise, Rise Racing is their their home track, and you know they've had you know quite obviously you know, they run the radical program here in Western Australia. So it's going to be interesting to see some how the the uh, interlopers from over east go um, challenging these guys who get you know the advantage of racing on it almost whenever they want. Um, and, of course, Nick Perkett actually holds the lap record in uh, the F1000, which is part of um, the FSR series in Perth, um, which contains the radical cars as well. But, um, yeah, so it's um, the, the rumor, rumor is a few of them will have them out at the uh, tuning day for testing to get some laps in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, Aaron Lovell and Jordan Love, um, have both raced in the radicals around the track and um, have actually beaten Formula 1000s around that track. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see these guys come over and um, hopefully show some um, supercars fans, you know, what what local racing happens uh, at the track. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of people sometimes don't realise we're still racing up there regularly. Um, and, you know, we have a big turnout for supercars and then they all vanish. And But, yeah, hopefully um, we'll see some more. It, how do you guys, do you know how they go about choosing which categories they do? Is it that's, they just go, yep. No, no, no that's not my um, MO whatsoever. I don't get involved in that at all. And it's funny because... Uh, at uh, Sydney One when we resumed racing last year, um, the New South Wales sports sedans were a support category and I didn't even know. 
until yeah, right. it came through on the schedule. <laughs> and I looked and I was like, oh, oh my God. And <laughs> turned to my husband and was like, are you racing this weekend in Sydney with supercars? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh. Okay, so that just proves that I have absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, but yes, that was that was quite a funny round that one. <laughs> just uh, to both be yeah. there racing, it was odd. <laughs> um, have you got any any inside news that you can sneakily tell us about the the event coming up? Or yeah, as you said, you just sort of kept kept as a bit of a mushroom until closer. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one because obviously with it not being on for two years and then COVID restrictions and, and everything like that is obviously quite different to what we're used to over this side. Um, I know that the teams are absolutely dying to do signing sessions and pit lane walks and all of that sort of getting close to the fans as yeah. much close as we can again. Um, but, yeah, that's really all that I kind of know i don't know anything else unfortunately they don't tell me the scoops which is funny because i'm a journalist but no one tells me any scoops and i, I say it to people all the time like you got any scoops they're like no i'm like but why like i'm a journalist please tell me things and, you, know, you know it just doesn't quite work out but it's okay <laughs> now a question we usually ask um our, our drivers um is and you know we're, we're almost hitting the two-hour mark, so yeah, sorry, we'll probably... guys. I know, yeah. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's that's more of an apology to you, um, having to listen to us and answer our questions. But um, some of we usually ask the drivers um, is around if they could have a teammate, and um, from your point of view, you know, being you know, content producing and um, interviewing and that, if you could have a driver compete in supercars today from any era any era of motorsport whatsoever any discipline of motorsport um dead or alive you're able to pluck them up and re resurrect them um and chuck them into a supercar you know today and send them racing who would you want to see in a supercar the first driver that i ever learned the name of because it was <laughs> Sorry, this is so silly. Because it was a PlayStation game. Uh, Colin McRae. Okay. Famous rally driver. Yep. I, and unfortunately, he has passed. I would like to resurrect Colin McRae and see him drive a supercar. I think wow. it would be it would be really cool, I think. That's yeah. a different one. Okay. We get Alistair and we get Ali in one. Yeah. Or Max, Max. Yeah, Max or Max. Race. Sorry, yeah, Max. Uh, even better. Yeah. He he might be in the FSA. I don't know if he is. I haven't seen the list. I think he might be getting ready for Rally because Rally Australia is coming up. Mm. Yeah. But, um, so you might have Max McRae in the FSR. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe we could do. Maybe we could go grab him and chuck him in a supercar for the weekend. <laughs> Let's do it. It'd be awesome. I think just yeah, seeing the McRae name would be so cool. And yeah, there's a first. First driver I ever learnt the name of, and I became a bit obsessed with him. Um, yeah. I just thought he was cool, and he was just just winning it and killing it. And rally is just such a mind-boggling thing to try and wrap your head around. And like, I'd love to get more involved in in rally. Like Jess Dane's doing an incredible job there, and I would just I'd love to get more involved in it. I think it's strange. The more that you do circuit racing, the more that you go, oh, dirt sounds appealing. Let's go and, <laughs> oh, go and do some dirt. Tell me about it. 
Oh man. Well, there's a, there's a uh, for Target coming up. Speaking of railing, there's an all girl team running at Target Tasmania. One of the co-drivers is from WA, Rachel. Um, so we just sorted out some race gear for that. Um, they're in a, uh, a GT um, a GDB mini spec car. So yeah, that pretty cool. Oh, definitely. Just run it out there. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. No, should um. Should uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, it would be interesting. Actually, young Max McRae in a supercar would be interesting. He'll be fast. He, he's fast in anything he pedals, man. He is. He has just got that natural, freakish talent, and he's young and fit. So, yeah. I watched him actually put a um, XL um, Lifeline WA did this fantastic drive day at the end of last year, and um, we were invited along and we, we covered it all for him. And it was amazing, like watching. Alistair, I'm sorry, Max, jump in this, you know, I think they spent like two grand on it the night before to buy this XL um, and they put it on the infield at Wanneroo just to do like a little sort of Motocana type setup and um, he jumps in it and, you know, two wheels around most of that that course, you know, just no fear and, yeah. you know, mm. like this this thing was just doing things that XL should not be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, he's definitely, you know, got the McRae um, motorsport gene in him, that kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what that's what I love. And, you know, that is something you hear about Shane quite a lot is that they just get cars to do things that cars just shouldn't do. And that it, I think that is what a part of what I've become quite in awe of is that, yeah, it's just that, that skill and that talent and there's part oh. of it that can't be taught and to me that's just like the epitome of a, an athlete and the epitome of why we idolise them is because they can do these incredible things that none of us can even comprehend. Like I struggle to parallel park my Mustang because of the, the nose is so long and I'm like, how do you, you get this car in a spot? Like, so <laughs> and I know I'm female so it's a ha-ha female driver but it's also like how do you how do you make it fit in that? It's too long. Um, but, yeah, I just think, yeah, Colin McRae was always someone that I was like, man, he's a cool dude and he can just do incredible things with a, a car. Um, so, yeah, I would absolutely love to see Max for sure. Let's just make it happen, guys. Let's just do it. What doors do I need to kick down again? Tell me which door. Um, well, we, you just need to – we'll get you some contact details for Max and yeah. you make it happen on yeah. your end. Yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. If we can get uh, if we can get Perez in a, a supercar, we can get Max. Yeah, yeah it'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Yeah, hometown kid. Yeah, he'd love it. Crowd would so, love it. Yeah, he's so good. Right. Yeah, pass those on. Let's do it. I will. That'll All be right. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Well, look. On that note, um, we're going to wrap up. Um, thank you very much for taking time out, especially after the massive, massive weekend or weekends that you've had. Um, and obviously, you know, I wouldn't say downtime now, but in comparison to what you have been doing, it's a bit of downtime. Um, and I, I do know the feeling, um, that, that event fit, which I'm still not event fit, you know, which I need to sort out. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, thanks for the you know, chat about the supercars and yourself and, you know, obviously, she, you know, as you say, any anyone can get in and do this if they've got the right mindset. Um, you know, you've just got to – you need to love motorsport um, and, you know, be in it for the right reasons of, you know – 
and show that you're in it for the right reasons and people will give you a go. You know, people will give people a go if they if they show that they're here for the right reasons. Um, you know, and the girls on track stuff and your program, what we'll do is I'll, um, I'll link um, your social media stuff uh, in the episode description so people can go and check you out and, um, you know, the program and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, and I know that we've got some um, FIA Girls on Track uh, champions over in WA as well. Um, so I'll make sure that they're aware of them, of the program as well. So um, if they're ever chatting with anyone, they can definitely pass on the details because, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Um, but no, look, it's, it's, we've, we've, I think it's not the longest one we've had. Okay. Um, so, but, you know, we, we we don't like to set a time limit on these interviews, you know, if we can get away with, you know, if, if it's a two-hour interview and it's interesting, fantastic. Um, if it's a half-hour interview and it's interesting and we can't get any more, fantastic. Um, you know, we had, um, oh, this is really bad. Um, Mark Sutton, um, very well. Oh, yeah. That one could have gone on for a day. Yeah, anyway, that was two and a half hours. And it could have gone on forever. Um, you know, very, very long time established Formula One photographer. Um, was there for every major event in the in the last you know, 30, yeah. 30, 40 years of the sport. So, oh, yeah. you know, like the – but we did cut that one short purely because we didn't want to take up more of his time. Um, <laughs> I'd love to catch up with him again because he was cool, I reckon, because he was there from the – He just told us the story. <laughs> yeah, and I like how he was there from the boom of no media to print going insane and, and the stories of how many print labs he had going around the world and the, and the sheer volume of people it took mm. yeah. to then that change over to digital content and – like it was just really, really cool. Like, um, yeah, and and the war stories, you know, like yeah. to to use a, a crass term, but because anything you could think of that stood in your mind from Formula One, from and and our, to, you know, and, and my, you know, forty odd years on Earth, has he had a story on it, right? It was very cool. Yeah, it's funny you say that because Mark Horsburgh, who's the supercars photographer. I said to him, if he ever wants to write a book, I've made him promise that I get to be his ghostwriter. Um, because just the stories that he has and, yeah, the moments that he's captured, just, yeah, I've, I've just said to him, that's it, I have to be your ghostwriter because I just I just want to hear the stories. <laughs> <laughs> I want to yeah. hear them before anyone else. Um, yeah, so I totally understand, yeah, I could spend hours and hours and hours listening to Mark's stories because, yeah, they're just, they capture such incredible moments and then, Obviously, they hear everything around them at the same time as well. So I understand yeah. that for sure. So, yeah, so don't, yeah. don't worry about the yeah. our timing. Our time, it's, it's more about your time. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's my absolute pleasure. And, yeah, I can't wait to catch up when I get to Perth and I know yes. it's going to be great racing. And, yeah, I'm so excited for it. It's going to be. And hopefully we'll get a quick fleeting wave as we pass each other. Well, we have to get a selfie. Board. We've already discussed this. We have to get a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I'll, I'll hold you to that one. I'll be in the uh, in the boxes down on turn one, and uh, yeah, if you if you need a guided tour and you want to know exactly uh, how deep the sand is in certain places in the track, I've tested just about all of them now. So, um, <laughs> oh god, uh, absolutely! I'll take you boys off on that one. Sounds good. 
No worries. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Charlie, for joining us. Um, Charlie Bullis from Supercars, uh, digital content producer. Um, yeah, it's chief that works in motorsport. And um, yeah, again, check out the episode description for a link to her social media. Um, as usual, um, you're going to hear my voice afterwards again anyway, but, you know, make sure you give us a follow and all that sort of lovely stuff on your favourite audio player, um, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, I think we're on Podbean now and, yeah, pretty much we're everywhere. So, um, yep, make sure you – we know you love these episodes. Um, we're watching our, our count go up every week. Um, so, yeah. Thank you all for listening in. Goodbye, Brent. Goodbye, Charlie. Shane here from Behind the Sport. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. If you don't already follow us, head on over to Facebook and Instagram. Find us on there. Give us a follow. Or visit our website, behindthesport.net. Catch up with the latest motorsport news. Find all of our previous episodes. And, of course, you can leave us comments on those as well. You can also find us on your favourite podcast provider, such as Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and more. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.